Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year, and this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. It's another episode of Project Zion Podcast. And another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. So I'm Seth Bryant, your host from Project Zion. And your host, Bill Real from Mormon Discussion. Really happy to be having this uh, joint endeavor. So, Bill, I'd welcome you on, but I guess I'm on your podcast, too. Yeah, so maybe I should welcome you. <laughs> maybe. Okay. So, so we're thinking of talking about how do we faithfully communicate with family and friends, and I just wanted to kick it off with some ideas. So if you're coming from a radically different viewpoint regarding the restoration, how do you talk? Um, it could be that you're progressive, and they're not, or maybe you're traditional and your family member or friend thinks you've gone off the deep end. So how do you communicate without destroying relationships or feeling you want to, like you want to hit your head against a wall? Bill, I'm guessing that you've been there before. Uh, Seth, I've been there lots of times. Sometimes I'm the one causing others to hit their head on the wall, right. and sometimes they're the ones causing me, and, and sometimes we're both not listening and kind of banging our own heads into the wall in the middle of the conversation. It, it can be messy, and I think this is a great topic that you're covering, and so I'm looking forward to kind of jumping into this, but I think as you're pointing out, this can be this can be a real point of tension between people, whether it's your, your parent, whether it's your child, whether it's uh, a good friend or a member of, of the, the church you're in now or the congregation you used to belong to. And so I think this is just a wonderful subject to cover. Yeah, absolutely. And we had a podcast not long ago on Project Zion. Uh, it was episode 14 on how to navigate a marriage after a faith transition that was with Monica and John English. Um, Katie Langston was hosting that one. Excellent podcast. Um, and so I definitely, I want to, um, invite you, invite all our uh, listeners to, to take a look at that. But I want to expand it just beyond marriage. Um, so Katie called for more experiences and examples um, of couples that have made things work. Um, and I, I think, just like you said, Bill, I think it's really essential that we talk about, well, what about your brother or your sister or your friend or your neighbor? Um, especially if you were once a faithful Mormon or they were once a faithful Mormon and now you're trying to navigate uh an existing relationship that has some new dimensions to it that can be really frustrating. Um, and oftentimes communication just shuts down. Um, a lot of my friends that I've talked to just give up on talking about religion because it, it ends up damaging relationships. And I'm not sure that that's the answer. Um, but I, I, you know, to be honest, Bill, um, I don't know what the answer is fully. Um, you know, and so I want to explore that with you and just open things up. So, can we talk about my own personal experience? And then maybe as I go through that, um, uh, you can jump in and, and we can just kind of bounce off of each other on uh, my experience in 2008 as a transitioning Mormon. Yeah, I'd love to I'd love to hear your thoughts, Seth. And I should add, maybe just for the listeners, uh, especially for Mormon Discussion Podcast, we had you on once before and, and you and I have gotten to know each other. And I just want to let the listeners know, I, I just so respect you, Seth, where, where you come from and the way you approach things in the demeanor you have. And so... Uh, I'm hoping you will jump into it. I, I really want to hear your own personal experiences because I think me and, and the listeners have a lot to learn just from the way in which you kind of tackle this in your own uh, in your own life. Well, I appreciate that, Bill. So before I jump in, though, um, I think I think it's important to kind of lay out a roadmap. So I don't want to just talk about myself. Um, the second part to this, I really, Bill, I want to I want to jump into um, defining terms. And specifically, what do we do when we have completely different definitions on basic terms? Uh, and then end on talking about, okay, can we arrive on what we value together? So let's, uh, yeah, let's talk, talk about my experience. Um, so in 2008, my wife, Jen, and I joined Community of Christ. And you and I covered that um, when I was on Mormon Discussions earlier. Um, 
I wanted to talk about the pot array, not a podcast. Um, podcasts weren't even really thought of. Maybe they were, but I didn't know about them in 2008. More um, blogs were the thing, right? And I had a blog, and so I posted a blog about our baptism, and I threw some pictures up there of us, you know, at the pool there in Gainesville, Florida, getting baptized, um, and I knew that it would be very difficult for family and friends to see this, but I felt like it was just like a Band-Aid, and we just needed to just rip it off quickly. Like, let's just let people know that this is what has happened. Um, and I wrote in that, my hair is still a little wet from being baptized, and I feel amazing, different than I've ever felt before. Jen and I were baptized into the community of Christ earlier today to be confirmed on Easter Sunday. Some of you might find this shocking or sad. I implore you, if you care for us, to read to the end of this this reserving judgment until you've finished. Um, Bill, I'm sure you've come across people putting their hearts out there online um, that are going through, you know, serious faith transitions. Um, in our case, we kind of got eaten alive. Um, have you seen this? Like, how, how do you, what do you, how do you advise people when they're like letting people know that, hey, um, my traditional faith isn't working for me anymore? People, people hold their religious faith it's like a loved family member, right? And and so when when you go online, like you have no intention at all on demeaning where they're at. But when you go online and you share some positive about your faith, that's different than theirs, especially if you used to hold that faith that they're currently in. If that used to be your faith. Anytime you say something, uh being being proud about where you're at, being um being excited about the experiences you just had, People back in that faith you used to have seem to take that really personally. It's almost like you're, you're punching their kid in the face. And, and so I don't know that there's really something, um, that you could do in terms of how you're putting your own experience out there. I think, unfortunately, many of us are just a little too defensive. And so I would say that you're certainly free to go online and, and post your experience with your baptism and to be proud of that and to be excited about that and to want to share that. I don't think there's anything you can do to prevent people from being defensive. What I would say, though, is that the next step is once you see that's the reaction they're giving you, then there are some things maybe that we can get into that you can do to kind of help them realize that you're not demeaning them at all. You're not diminishing them at all, but rather you're really excited about where you're at in your own life. Yeah. Well, and I wish that I had only focused on uh, the positives of being in community of Christ and finding uh, this new path and this new faith journey. I felt like, though, that I was being judged and I needed to explain and uh, justify why I had made such a radical change in my life, um, because it, it really felt like when I did, the few people I talked to, uh, it felt like they were saying, you know, you're just stupid or, I mean, literally, like I was told that I was stupid. Um, that my concerns really weren't that valid. Um, and so I felt like I needed to explain what went wrong and how Community of Christ fixed that for me. Um, and what that came across, though, as was an attack on their faith. And, I, you know, the comment about punching their kid in the face, in, in a lot of ways, um, if somebody grows up with you as a Mormon and then you transition out, it's like they have to mourn the death of something, you know, you're still there, but the person that they knew, uh, is not. And there, there definitely is a mourning process, uh, that has to go on. And I think I made it worse in just listing everything that I saw wrong. Um, and I had quite the litany. Do you want me to go through the litany here of the, <laughs> the things that I, uh, that I put on the blog? Let, let's hear some of those just so that the listener can kind of weigh in their mind, maybe the way you handled it other ways to handle it, and, and we can kind of maybe have a conversation about other people who are in similar shoes that now that you were in then, maybe what they could do differently. Yeah. Well, and and I'll jump into that in just a second, but I, I just want to say that in listing this, I really felt like that this was something personal that I had gone through, and I did not intend it as an attack, but that's how it came across. So I started off with the destruction of the press in Nauvoo, uh, the expositor, um, and then I jumped to the suppression of intellectuals today, 
I talked about cognitive dissonance, my own, uh, what I felt like was um, an inability to be intellectually honest with myself, and the fact that I'm not feeling the spirit uh, within church, even though I'm pleading with God and doing everything I can. Um, I, I use the term baby-proofing of church history. I think in 2007, that was a lot more true than it is today with the LDS church. Um, but definitely how the church approach it, approached its church history was something that was problematic for me. I also mentioned that I had met with a former general authority. And we had sat down and we did an interview for two and a half hours, maybe. Um, and he allowed me to kind of see behind the curtain of uh, things going on there within the church leadership. And that was very, very difficult for me. Incredibly difficult. Um, and he has since died. I've never um, published this or shared that interview, but I do have a transcript of it. And I, I uh, you know, I've wondered about sharing that with others. But for me, it was just devastating um, to sit down and to hear those things. Um, I was very upset that priesthood is only given to males. I didn't feel like it was following the articles of faith that it should be according to revelation um, or prophecy, that it was just because you were a male in a certain age, um, and as long as you met certain worthiness requirements, it was just automatically given. And it bothered me that my wife wasn't allowed access um, to priesthood. And it also bothered me that everything is focused on the next life. Um, and then I listed some things and some serious issues within the church in Utah. Um, I, I cited an article that said that 90% of rapes in uh, Provo go unreported, that there's a huge number of rapes um, in Utah per capita compared to the rest of the country, um, issues with suicide and young men within Utah, the use of antidepressants. Um, and then I, I mentioned the inability of the church to confess its sins, let alone, I mean, it can't even acknowledge them in some ways, um, and, and, and which leads to an inability to learn from those past sins. And for me, I summed it up that, look, the gospel just needs to make a difference here and now, and I didn't feel like that was happening. Um, and so I wrote in my conclusion, all that matters is that God called me. Somewhere in my hell, God reached out his hand and said, I have a place for you. It won't be easy, but it will set you free. Those pointing their fingers in my general direction, do you have any idea how much energy I was expending to stay where I was or how light and happy I now feel? God wants us to be happy. For me, I believe that the gospel shouldn't be all pie in the sky. It shouldn't be driven by guilt and anxiety, and it shouldn't cast out those that need it most. I'm ready to embrace my calling, and I don't need an institution's blessing to do so. God be thanked for his son who turned the universe on its head, no matter what stood in his way, and set his children free. So we sent this, my wife Jen and I, we sent this off into uh, the internet, and um, and the blog hit the fan, right? When it, uh, Comments coming from former ward members, family members, friends, people um, that I didn't even know. And, you know, even today, thinking about it uh, is not, I mean, it's still a, a painful thing uh, to, to read it. And it's painful for me to read the way that I responded to the comments, because I certainly would do so differently today. I think I was in a very hurt place. I was not in a place where I was ready to talk to faithful Mormons about this journey that I was on. And yet that was the one thing I wanted to do because I felt like I was being judged and I wanted to explain. Right. And, and, and you certainly, you certainly deserve that space uh, coming in. And obviously this is the first time I've heard, heard this. And, and so lots of things are running through my mind. And, and as you know, Seth, and as the listeners to, to my podcast know, I'm certainly comfortable with people being frustrated with, with things that the church does. But one of the things maybe I could just throw out as a suggestion for people who are listening going, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to sit down tonight and I'm going to write something just like that. Um, one of the things that I'm thinking of as I come in, and again, I don't always handle these situations the best either. I've made people upset. I've hurt feelings. But one of the things as you were talking that I thought about is that the church does a lot of good. Uh, talking about the Mormon church, the LDS church, which I'm still an active faithful member of. The church does a lot of good and it's, and it's really good for a lot of people within it. And so one of the things I was thinking of as you were talking was to say, okay, if that was me, what would I have done differently? 
And one of the thoughts I had was somewhere in there, I would have spent a paragraph saying, you know, the, the LDS church is, is really good for most of its members. It, it, it really is a net positive for a lot of people and, and then fall back on this idea. But for some, for, for some, it can be toxic. It can hurt. It can marginalize. It can make people feel like they're outside the group and feel like their connection to Christ and to the gospel is diminishing rather than progressing. And that way the, the in the box member. And what I mean by that is the person who still both feed in still very, very orthodox in their beliefs still sees their church as the beautiful, only true and living church on the earth. It gives them kind of a little bit of room to say, you know, he's acknowledging that the church is good for me and it's good for most people. So maybe I can soften up a little bit and grant him that for some people, it's not a net positive or it's, it has, you know, the ability to hurt some out there. I just think when you kind of separate it that way, you're giving them some safe space to live in. And so maybe they would feel inclined to return that safe space to you as well. Yeah, I think that's a really wise counsel. And, you know, today, eight years later, I would obviously uh, frame this different that I look on my past Mormon experience as a positive thing. I think where I'm at in Community of Christ today is a continuation of my journey with God. Uh, I don't completely reject everything that happened. I think the LDS Church is part of God's kingdom. Um, I just, I don't believe anymore it has a monopoly on God's kingdom. Um, but for me, I can see that it is a good place for many people. And if they're happy, I'm happy for them. And I, yeah, you're right. I wish I had created space where they felt like, okay, well, this obviously isn't faithful and it's uncomfortable for me, but he's still allowing space for uh, for me to be a faithful Mormon without judgment. Um, yeah, and I think the listener needs to know, like, if you if you go in guns a-blazing and you say, look, this has hurt me, it's hurt a lot of people, or, or it's... Or you even just frame it any way that it's just negative, and you don't talk about the positive. Think about the person that's in the shoes of still being a faithful member of that that religious belief system. What they're feeling like is, what he's saying is that because I'm in, and because it feels healthy and good to me, then there must be something wrong with me since he's saying this is a problem for everyone else. And so I think by parsing that out and saying, look, there, this is positive for some or most even, I think you allow them then to say there's nothing wrong with me, so I don't need to be defensive back towards him. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, because, you know, if, if you don't allow for that space, then they have to make a judgment and they have to say, okay, well, either uh, I've got it wrong or he's got it wrong. And, you know, in a lot of cases, um, that response of, well, you're just stupid um, you're an idiot for having left was because uh, I had made it very black and white. Like it was like an all or nothing proposition, which is ironic um, because I was still accepting or using the parameters that were frustrating me that, you know, the church is either all true or it's all false. And I, I think that the truth is much more complex. I think uh, God is more complex and that there are many um, faith journeys and paths. And if we can learn to respect others, even if we don't agree, but learn to respect and try to appreciate where they're coming from, um, then we don't feel like, oh, we're on the, def we have to be on the defensive and figure out who's right, who's wrong, who's smart, who's stupid, you know. Um, so, and I, and I recognize that, you know, in hindsight, <laughs> uh, that, this wasn't the best way to go about it. But I would also push back and say, look, if you have a friend or a family member who is hurting, they're probably not going to be in a frame of mind uh, to do the very thing that we just talked about, right? And so uh, giving them grace and space is probably a smart thing and hope that eventually um, they can come to a healthy place in terms of their past Mormonism. Um, I think it's it's rather sad that a lot of former Mormons can see nothing good uh, with their past experience. And part of that is because of how they're treated by the community on their way out. 
Right, right. And, and I hope you don't mind. I want to kind of sidetrack here for a second because I was sure. thinking as you as you laid out some of the things you wanted to cover tonight, as you were talking about sharing your own personal experience, I was thinking of some of my own and and not even in terms of me having gone through my faith transition and wanting to talk to those who are still orthodox in my faith and try to bridge those gaps. I've had conversations with people completely outside of my faith who have who have no experience of being a Mormon, progressive Mormon, ex-Mormon, none of that. I've had a conversation with an evangelical Christian recently, and and I thought, because we have a common friend who's also kind of nuanced in the way that he thinks about religious things, and so he, he brings this evangelical Christian into the conversation, and I'm, in, I'm anticipating that this guy is also going to be nuanced, and, and as we start the conversation out, it becomes apparent very quickly that he is very orthodox in his own faith. And it was a really tense conversation. I don't think he felt it, but I did because where I'm at now, I want to value, I want to value my truth certainly, but I'm also willing to value another's truth. So if someone comes to me and they're atheist, someone comes to me and they're ex-Mormon, someone comes to me and they're, and they're, you know, somewhere along the line in their faith transition, I want to value the fact that that their truth is just as real and true to them as my truth is to me. But when you get in these conversations where people don't want to give you that same space, it makes for a really tough, friendly, it really makes it tough to have a friendly conversation. This, this gentleman was a nice guy. He, he served in his church. He, he contributed very much to the things going on within his faith. And yet you could tell that in the conversation, he th- knew he was right. He knew anybody outside of his tradition was wrong, and that came across very, very quickly in the vocabulary he used. And, and I don't know what the solution is. I'm just, I'm just trying to show this as one more example of experiences that we have talking to people who have differences in beliefs. I don't know what the simple fix is, but one of the things I did in that conversation was I just didn't push. I didn't, I didn't tell him he was wrong. I didn't, you know, nobody was going to be hurt by the conversation in terms of physically or emotionally damaged. So I didn't feel a need to kind of put him in his place. I let him hold his truth and I just kind of kindly backed out of the conversation and, and would have engaged again if he asked for it by the things he said, but he never did. And so I just felt like the right thing to do was simply to just give him that space to hold that ground and to simply kind of retreat myself and just not engage him, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's not an easy thing to do by any means. Um, but in allowing somebody to hold their truth and standing still faithful you know, to what you believe, but not forcing a fight, I mean, I, I think that kind of peacemaking is essential up until the point, and, and you're not saying this, Bill, so I'm, I'm not critiquing you at all, but up until the point that that other person's truth might infringe upon the rights of another. Uh, anytime, if somebody's truth denies the worth of someone else, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I think that uh, peacemaking demands that we actually stand up for the sake of uh, justice and what is right. And but up, you know, up until that point, I mean, most people, most people you run into are actually good people. When you look out uh, the window as you're flying over a city, like. Try to see what God sees. I think most people in the world today are actually good people, and we should give each other the benefit of the doubt. We might have um, very limited uh, viewpoints or beliefs um, that you look at another person and you say, "Hey, look, I could never go there with you." But you know, learning to just to just look on a person's heart and to ask, "Is this person trying to do what's right and good?" I mean, that, that's the most important thing, and. You know, if they want to fight over whether the Bible's infallible or not, or you know, something that maybe uh, it seems like a, a fundamental that's just not essential for you, whatever. But you know, let's let's go even deeper. Why are they making these kinds of claims? And if it's ultimately because they're trying to do what's right and to affirm uh, the worth of all persons, to affirm that there's a God that loves you, you know, I can walk with people. I even uh, even if. I think they, their views are, um, well, even if I know that their views are out of line with mine, I can usually walk with people, and I try to. Um, so not always perfect in that. I think all of us 
struggle with, you know, affirming someone else um, when we don't agree with them and affirming that they have a right to believe that and that 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 viewpoint doesn't undo what we believe. Um, I don't know. Does that, and that make any sense, Phil? <laughs> yeah, it does. And you hit it on the head. I mean, that's one of the things this guy was doing was talking about the any question that he wanted to engage he referred back to the Old Testament or New Testament as absolutely to be taking, taken literally as the authoritative final answer on any discussion. And, and as you and I both know, that is really a lot messier than some of, some of those kinds of believers think. And, and yet I just, I just let them have that. I, it wasn't, I mean, I could have gone in and been like, I could have used examples. I could have said, Hey, let's, let's throw some things out there. And I could have, thrown out really strong counterexamples to what he was saying. But in my mind, I made a decision that doing so would have been, would have either A, caused him to get really defensive and the conversation would have been fruitless altogether. Or B, if he does take in what I'm saying, he holds his ground with such strength. If I run in and knock out the pillars of his foundation, I run the risk of, of him crumbling and, and that's just not good for him. And so you just have to kind of, as you, as you delve into these conversations, you just have to realize that, you know, is it, is it better for me just to leave this person where they're at? Um, can I throw in something maybe really soft and subtle? It's just something for them to kind of chew on and think about. Cause I don't want to rush in. You know, it's like the, the, in Mormonism, it's like the CES letter, right? And people want to come in and be like, I've left the church and here's the reason I've left and here's the whole thing. And I think for an Orthodox believer, to have to encounter the CES letter as this giant ball of stuff just thrown on the wall, I just don't think that's healthy. And you have to just kind of make these these decisions on what is best for the other person. And if you really care about the other person, you'll be sensitive about how much uh, how much how much information or ideas you're going to throw at them that are contradictory to their to their framework, to their belief system. You, these are just things you want to tiptoe about a little bit and, and you just have to realize, okay, I'm in a different place than them. Let me give them their space. Yeah. Yeah. And I, today, just today I was talking to somebody about this and I, I said that this sort of conversation is like uh, dancing on a tight wire in terms of uh, the concentration and the, just the balance it takes, you know, to pull it off. Um, I experienced this as a chaplain in the military and so, you know, when I was um, with a Marine or a sailor who, you know, we were in combat and there were some very strong views that were expressed uh, about people they identified as their enemy. And so how do I bear faithful witness? Because I, I think it's essential in those moments that we're intellectually honest with who we are and what we believe. But how do you bear faithful witness without completely shutting down all the communication and it is not uh, an easy thing but I think ultimately what it comes down to is yes you may you know see things a certain way that's problematic for me I'm simp I, I might point that out very gently and just say you know what for me the most important thing is that God loves us and affirms that we all have worth and that demands that I treat everyone uh, with respect and that I do not other or locate anyone else as my enemy, um, but that ultimately God wants to lift us up, up out of unjust conditions and situations. And, you know, if, but if I, if I just ran around like a hippie in Afghanistan going, Hey, look, um, you know, you guys got it all wrong. War is wrong and you need to embrace peace and let's go hug a tree. And, you know, I'd completely shut down my audience, right? Like nobody is going to listen to me whatsoever. Although I do feel that way. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and again, you, you're just, you're granting them that safe space that they're in rather than causing confrontation. Yeah. So the challenge is how do you stretch someone without breaking, right? Without breaking them? How do you stretch a conversation without breaking it? Well, and I think that's a really nice segue into uh, the second part of this discussion on defining terms and really talking about when defining terms uh, when it isn't enough to just simply say, well, this is how you define it. This is how I define it. And, uh, Bill, I sent you a script. My wife, Jen, and I actually recorded this. I think we're going to, uh, we'll interject this in here because it's the sort of conversation that we had with family and friends over and over again. And I've learned a great deal from it. So let's go ahead and play that. 
So why not follow the prophet? Well, I think I am being prophetic. But God's prophets tell us to be obedient. No, the prophets in the Bible tell us to challenge unjust conditions and to return to God's covenant lived out in sacred community that affirms the worth of all persons. <laughs> Sounds like, to me, you just want to sin. No, that's exactly my point. See, sin is anything that alienates us from God, creation, each other, and from our best potential selves. I don't want to sin. I'm being prophetic by challenging sin. I just have a different definition than you do. I don't know about that. I know that we have a prophet of God, and by following the prophet, we don't go astray. I know that the gospel was restored through the prophet Joseph Smith, and that we have a prophet today. What about our eternal family, then? Uh, but I'm really concerned about salvation here and now, and not just some celestial kingdom in the next life. I see people all around me that are starving. There are gay kids everywhere committing suicide. Wars and refugees. Like, what's the point to the gospel if it only orients me to the next life, and I don't worry about this life? But the church does good things for people in this life. We know that what matters most is making sure people can return to their Heavenly Father. That's why we build temples, so families can be together forever. And I know that God loves me and made it possible for us to be a family forever. And it really saddens me that there is going to be an empty seat at our family table in the next life if you continue down this path. This is exactly what I can't take. So the real challenge uh, that, that I've found over the years is that we use terms so very differently. Um, people who have a more nuanced or progressive view of Mormonism, or maybe they've left the church altogether, something as simple as sin uh, or salvation or restoration, all these things have completely different meanings. And in the beginning, I tried to have this conversation where I, I said, well, I, I, you, you know, might define it this way. This is how I define it. Like if we could just define the terrain, we could have a conversation. I found that that really didn't uh, work, but I wanted to lift that up, Bill, and just ask you, uh, have you, have you run into that challenge of where, you know, something as simple as the term restoration could have completely different meaning and, and it's just shutting down communication because we haven't, we haven't identified that. So because I'm a convert, to Mormonism, and and I come in come in from a very uh, I'll just use the term worldly perspective. I I I made a lot of bad choices before coming into the church, and I, I lived a very worldly life before finding the gospel. And and in some ways, that's really been a blessing because it's allowed me to kind of be able to put myself in the shoes of others very easily. And, and so when I have conversations, even early on, even after I joined the church. I would have conversations with people in and out of the church when all of us were in the same conversation and I could tell right away that the person out of the church and the person in the church were speaking two very different languages and I could see that, but I could also tell that neither of them at times could tell that was going on uh, until there's kind of a misunderstanding, which would happen pretty quick. And, and so I think you've hit on something, this idea that whatever faith system you're in, whatever whatever set of beliefs you hold, whatever theology you're clinging to, that you recognize that every faith has its own vocabulary. And those words might be used across denominational lines, but they don't exactly mean the same thing. So for example, grace. Grace seems like it'd be just a simple word, but the way that Mormons or members of the community of Christ or an evangelical Christian or a Lutheran or a Catholic would use that word can have very distinctly different meanings, even if the word kind of has a similar surface definition. And so you just have to recognize when you're in conversations with people, if you're using a word that can be easily uh, misunderstood as it's used by different people, you just got to slow down and, and maybe just throw an extra sentence in so that people know in the way in which you're using that term, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So there's a great story uh, of a Mormon coming to visit the temple, the Community of Christ Temple in Independence, and they ask, uh, tell me about your temple endowment. And the tour guide that's Community of Christ says, well, it's $28 million and growing daily. You know, for us, it's it's all about the money that's been set aside to take care of the temple indefinitely, right? right? And the Mormon is just completely dumbfounded by this. So sometimes the the terms don't match up at all. Um, other times we have very similar understandings, um, or 
at least there's enough overlap that we think we're talking about the same thing and and really the um the ultimate thrust of where we uh see that going is completely different though so and I might use sin as a good example um so i had uh I had several people challenge me um as I came to uh, embrace my LGBT brothers and sisters and say, well, how can you accept sin? And for me, not accepting them is sin, right? So sin is anything that alienates us from God and the sort of communities God wants us to live in. Um, I think a good faithful Mormon could run with that definition, but how we apply it is just 180 degrees, um, and like I said, I think in the beginning, when I first joined Community of Christ, it was like, well, if, if we can just sit down and define terms and figure out the terrain, we can have a conversation. Um, but the problem I kept running into is that the other person thought that I was defining things incorrectly, and I was doing the same thing to them. So even if we understand where the other person is coming from, there still has to be an attempt to appreciate uh, how they're approaching things, even if you would disagree with it. Yeah, and I think if you're if you're able to put yourself in other people's shoes and just again, we're saying the same thing over and over, give them the space to hold those words to the definition they have for them. So, one of the things I run into in in Mormonism again, as an active faithful member, but one who maybe sees kind of the multiple layers of doctrine and theology, one of the most simple words we use every every time we're together as a people within the church is the gospel. Gospel. Mm. G-O-S-P-E-L. And that word, you have to be so careful with just that simple word because many Mormons, when they hear the word gospel, that automatically also means the church. Right. And so often when I'm talking, I've in my own mind, in my own nuanced way of putting things together, I very strongly separate the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, the, the, the first principles, the, the fact that he lived and died and resur- was resurrected and that he made an atonement for us. And then the gifts that come from that atonement being part of that as well versus, versus the church or this, this earthly organization that, that, that we believe God has set apart to administer the gospel. Most Mormons just absolutely connect those two. They're intertwined like a piece of, like multiple strands of licorice all, all roped together. Yeah. And, and so when somebody, you know, wants to have a conversation with me, almost to a T, anytime I'm using the word gospel, I will slow down and say, you know, and, and, and I don't mean that in the way that it also means the church. And I will sometimes even take time, you know, without diminishing the church at all, without saying anything negative about the church. I'll just say, look, for me, the church administers the gospel, but the gospel is these things. And, and I think that helps when people hear how you, what you mean by it. Now they know every time you use that word, you mean something maybe a little different than what they hold to. But otherwise, there's a lot of room for confusion. Sure. That's a great example. I was just thinking about that the other day. Uh, so you mentioned, so it's the first principles and ordinances of the gospel are intertwined with the church, um, it's intertwined with Christ and the atonement. I think they even add to it the temple and eternal families. You know, so if a Mormon says, I know the gospel is true, and an evangelical hears it, the evangelical agrees, but they have no clue what they're agreeing to, right? That the Mormon intends like, no, and eternal families and temples and uh, the Book of Mormon and just on and on and on, all of and these food things. food storage and family history work and right. all of those things. Right, right. So... You know, our traditions can be really, really difficult um, in just because if we don't lay out all the context and all the meanings, it actually can create a wall between us, even if we don't realize it. But I, I wonder, what do our traditions give us? What does the restoration give us that actually helps us um, or challenges us to unify and to come together, even if we have differences of faith? Um, and I've got one in mind, but I was, I was curious, Bill, um, you know, what, what do you think? Is, is there, is there a challenge that comes from scripture or maybe something that's been said recently in, uh, general conference? Something out there that says, hey, look, we can still come together, if nothing else, just as human beings, despite the different differences that exist in how we believe. So you and I have had lots of conversations, and, and as we, as we've shared back and forth about where we both are within our own 
our own faith and our own, the churches that we belong to. I think there's a lot of these kinds of, these things to build on rather than to, uh, to kind of divide us. And, and one of those would be when we look at the church, while Mormonism on the surface, and I'm talking about, I'm talking about the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, on the surface will be very exclusive in terms of its truth claims. I think there's also lots of room within Mormonism to be inclusive. So the fact, for instance, that, that as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, we would, we would validate that every person is a son or daughter, a child of God, and that Heavenly Father is working to bring each of His children home. And that we even have scriptures that say things like, anyone who is repenting and coming unto Christ is of His church. In other words, anybody who's working to be better than what they were the day before is of his church. There's actually a lot of room within Mormonism, and I already know the community of Christ holds this kind of ground. And, and I'm just simply saying that often on the surface, we don't think that the LDS church does. But I think in reality, there is these kinds of things when you dig deep enough. And so, for instance, if you and I are in a conversation, we could have a very, you know, I certainly want to hold my ground within the LDS faith. You'd want to hold your ground within the community of Christ. But I think you and I have a very easy time in our conversations agreeing on some of these basic things. Like, for instance, church can be very easily taken to mean anybody who's moving forward, uh, who's moving towards becoming more Christ-like. Um, that the idea that God loves all of his children, he's trying to bring all of his children home. The the idea that uh, the Holy Ghost is can be present in anyone's life. You know, Mormonism, even though it wants to claim that it only, it only with its membership has the gift of the Holy Ghost, it acknowledges that everybody across the spectrum of the world can feel distinctively the Holy Spirit. And so there are things that I think when you're in conversations with somebody else that you can throw out there so that you can build that kind of common ground. So if I was, if I was in a conversation with you, if I was in a conversation with an evangelical, I could acknowledge the workings of God within their sphere or your sphere and give some space for for you to kind of see that I'm validating at least part of your truth. Right, right. Well, and I'm getting rusty on these things, but remind me, which uh, article of faith says we claim the privilege of worshiping Almighty God according to the dictates of our own conscience and allow all men the same privilege, let them worship how, where, or what they may? Is that the 11th? Uh, your guess is better than mine. I joined after primary, so I... <laughs> I didn't memorize those. Right. I guess <laughs> but we, do it have is this, one of them. we do have this thing called Google, right? But I, I mean, that's, that comes from like some of the earliest days of the church and just, it's a period when, uh, the church is being persecuted and looked on as being very, uh, non-Christian and un-American. And they were lifting up that, Hey, look, um, we claim and we respect the ability to just believe um, as we feel called to believe. And so, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think in Community of Christ, in recent sections in the Doctrine and Covenants, we have some really great counsel. And you practically quoted uh, section 162, verse 5a, um, which says, Do not be defined by the things that separate you, but by the things that unite you in Jesus Christ. And then it continues over and over again, you've been counseled to be reconciled to seek the unity that is imperative to the building of the kingdom. Again, the Spirit counsels the church to not allow the forces of division to divert you from your witness. Listen together to one another without judgment or predisposition. Do not assume that the answers to matters of conflict have yet been perceived. There is much labor to be done. Reason together in love, and the Spirit of truth will prevail. Right. You, you mentioned Article of Faith number 11, right? That, that the LDS Church and, and, and I should ask you too, does the Community of Christ still use those 13 Articles of Faith? They're a historical doc, document. Um, they are either known as the epitome of faith or the epitome of faith. I get different answers. Um, people know about them. I see them every once in a while. But I think our, we have a basic belief statement, uh, that is more, central uh to what you know the church would say today is is basic beliefs gotcha so just knowing that on some level it's shared between the two faiths perhaps a little less so maybe in the community of christ as they've perhaps moved beyond those uh what i would say is that 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 article of faith and i'm assuming it's number 11 but this idea that, that the lds faith in in putting those 13 articles of faith out there is saying look 
we are claiming the space to worship according to the dictates of our own conscience, our own heart, our own understanding of who God is. And I think invariably when you, when you claim that space for yourself and for your faith community, you have a responsibility to also give that exact same space to everyone else outside of your belief system. And so I would certainly hope that the, the average Latter-day Saint who wants to go out and share the gospel with their neighbor would respect that neighbor's right to, to hold their own ground. And I'll give one example, and, and I'm not trying to be picking on any of the leadership of the LDS church, but, but Elder Holland gave a talk in conference, uh, Elder Holland was one of the quorum, members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles in the LDS faith, gave a talk in conference where he talked about, uh, a kid who, who was, um, leaving Mormonism that he should consider the feelings of his mother as he's doing so. There was a, there was a talk about behold thy mother. Hmm. And the first thought I had was do we give that same counsel to the kid who's leaving Catholicism and coming into Mormonism, do we tell him to slow down and to consider the feelings of his mother? Because I think that idea should go both ways. That, that if someone is coming into our church, whether it be, you know, Catholicism, Mormonism, community of Christ, whatever it is, if someone's coming into our faith or they're exiting out of our faith, we, we should not be hypocritical in how we look at, consider, empathize and sympathize with the feelings of all those involved in that process, that it isn't just a, a one-way situation that only deserves sympathy and empathy in one direction, that rather we should be fair and give people space outside of the church just as much as we want to claim for ourselves that space to to worship to the dictates of our own heart. Yeah, yeah and I, I don't want anyone to take this as a barb against the LDS church because I'm owning it for Community of Christ and the entire restoration. But I think that when you have the doctrines of one true church and of apostasy of other Christian traditions, it has the strong potential of putting blinders on what you're doing. And if you're going to own those doctrines, if you're a faithful Mormon and you want to own that you have the one true church and that there was an apostasy, then at very least take those blinders off and have empathy for others uh, and imagine what would it be like for the family, that Catholic family with um, you know that, that child coming into Mormonism uh, the next time you go out with the elders and, and show at, at very least um, you know that, that you're able to consider what it's like to walk in their shoes even if you think that you've got the one uh, true faith. Now, of course, for me, I think that exceptionalism, for me, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. Um, but I respect the fact that for others, it's a central piece of their faith. I would just ask, uh, be willing to see a bigger, uh, vision of God's kingdom, um, and, and see that God working in other, in other lives and other churches, um, even if it's, you know, for you, you can't accept that it has the fullness of the gospel. Yeah, and there and there are those bits and pieces within the LDS tradition. You have Orson F. Whitney, who was an apostle many, many, many years ago. And one of the things in one of his quotes that he talked about was that the non-members of the church, that people who were not members of the LDS tradition, are are among God's auxiliaries in in putting forth the plan of salvation, as in being a hand and carrying it out. And so I think that's so strong. And I think if we can just take a step back and not be so and I don't mean the word arrogant as in like this, this negative trait, but just being so uh, focused in this one single line as to not even be aware of others that, that if that you sometimes can just lose this, the, the idea of like you're saying, just like take a step back and put yourself in the shoes of, of the family you're sitting down with, inviting them to come to your church. What kind of obstacles are going to stand in their way if they leave theirs? It's, it's just an awareness. I know I'm, I'm probably rambling here. It's just an awareness of what each person's situation is and not being so arrogant in the truth claims of your own faith that you're willing to say, do whatever it takes to prove you're right at the expense of hurting someone else and where they are at the moment. Yeah. Well, before we move on to the final portion here on common values, can I share one last uh, verse from the Doctrine and Covenants? So from section 161 in verse 3, it says, 
Do not be fearful of one another. Respect each life journey, even in its brokenness and uncertainty, for each person has walked alone at times. Be ready to listen and slow to criticize, lest judgments be unrighteous and unredemptive. Be patient with one another, for creating sacred community is arduous and even painful. But it is to loving community as this that each is called. Be courageous and visionary, believing in the power of just a few vibrant witnesses to transform the world. Be assured that love will overcome the voices of fear, division, and deceit. That's beautiful, Seth. Obviously, this is a section of the DNC that we do not share in common. And I look at that, and my immediate thought is that that sounds and feels like Scripture. And and I think even on that term, that when we're having communications with people of other faiths, that we ought to respect their Scripture as giving them enlightenment and giving them a spiritual lift and that perhaps there's even something from it that we can take and claim for ourselves. Uh, I certainly look at this section one third or 161 and, and find this to be very inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I appreciate your willingness to share. So, and I, I, uh, I think that, you know, there's so much division within the restoration and, you know, I, I, any time that we can find common ground, even if it's just in sharing and trying to appreciate the paths uh, that others walk, it, it, that healing is just essential um, to truly realizing who we're called to be as people of Zion. So I wanted to talk about, in, in conclusion, about common values um, and and just to point out that, okay, so maybe we can't get to the point where we agree on beliefs but is there a value underneath our beliefs um, that that we can find commonality in? And I, I again want to um, suggest the episode that was done here on Project Zion with um, Monica and John English. And I'm paraphrasing John, but John basically said, my faith is about families being together forever. So it didn't make sense to break up our family because of religion. It is so sad to break up a marriage over religion. The point is to be together. It's going to work out. Um, and I just I thought that that was spot on. I mean that is absolutely. Look, we may not uh, we may not be able to agree about doctrine or theology, but at the end of the day, what is the underlying value that we're being taught, and is there overlap? And I think more often than not, if we can get to that, we have a lot in common and we have something to work together with. We've got some sort of commonality. So, and, and I wonder, Bill, are there others, are there other things that are central pieces of the Mormon faith um, and there's a value behind it that resonates with those who have left the faith and it might be a, a point that families and friends can come together on even if they don't share the same beliefs? I think there's lots of them in and maybe just to take one big one, right? So let's just take, for instance, somebody who's completely left religion altogether. And, and at this point in their life, they're an atheist. And you're going to get into, as a, as an active Latter-day Saint or as an active member of the community of Christ, you want to engage them in a conversation. I think there are common things you can build on. Rather than fight over whether there's a God or whether Jesus really lived and died and was resurrected, you could simply talk about the life of Christ. You could acknowledge. So if I was going to get in a conversation with an atheist, for instance, and I'll just play this out. Uh, one of the, so one of the ways I might approach the conversation, I would say, hey, look, you know, I don't want to argue with you over whether Jesus was real. Um, I would grant that there's certainly some, some reasons out there to, to see that possibly there is no God or to see that, that Jesus wasn't the savior of the world. But let's just look at his life for a moment. Are there good things that we can learn from that? So, for instance, even if Jesus isn't historical, can you see the value in living a Christ-like life? What do you think about the way in which the account of him shares that how he acted in situations, how he answered people, how he went out and served? And if you can, you know, again, you're just taking something and you're building common ground. I don't think you can look at this world of 8 billion people and walk away saying, I'm going to get all 8 billion of these people to see the exact same way I do. That's impossible. But what you can do is you can affect people for the better. And if that's your only motive, then you're willing to kind of let go of 
imposing your truth on somebody and you can set that off to the side and you can look somebody else in the eyes. You can say, what is, where's this person at? What don't they believe? What do they believe? And what's still up for grabs and to find those things that are up for grabs and to build common ground so that you can still be say things that are inspiring to them. Um, when I'm in church and I'm having a conversation with somebody that I know, even though we're both members of the LDS church and we both hold a lot of things in common, there are times where I know that the person is complete other side of the page. And one of the things I'll do is I'll say, that's one perspective that you hold. May I share with you another perspective? And you see, by using those kinds of words, I validated where he stands. I'm not telling him he's wrong. I'm saying the position you hold is fine. Do you mind if I offer you one of the position I hold? You can approach conversations that way. And whether you're building on the life of Christ, whether you're building on the scriptures teaching us to serve, whether you're building on the scriptures that tell us to, to love one another, being one of the great commandments, there are so many things that regardless of who you're talking to, atheist, Muslim, Baptist, or Mormon, there's things that you can build on and that everybody can walk away from the conversation maybe thinking and chewing on some things, but not feeling diminished in any yeah. way. Yeah, and you know, as a chaplain, I did a lot of counseling with couples, and every once in a while, these differences in faith would come up. Um, and sometimes, I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying about Christ. I think Christ is accessible for everyone, even for an atheist, if you approach it that way, um, that at least you can say, yeah, actually, a message of being a good person and taking care of the poor, like, I can, I can run with that, right? But... If we can't even go there, um, sometimes I just sit down with a couple and say, okay, what do you guys like to do together? What was it that in the very first instance brought you together? Or as friends, you know, I, I might ask, uh, you know, wh what did you guys enjoy doing together before you started fighting about religion, right? Or family members, we don't get to always pick our family members, but talk to me about a good time, right? And then find those kind of commonalities uh, in what they value, what they're looking for in life, and uh, and build off of that. And, you know, the question is, and every relationship is going to be different, but the question is, can religion, can discussions about religion still be a part of your relationship? Can you establish boundaries um, and establish enough understanding of where the other person is coming from, even if you don't fully um, you know, appreciate or buy into it, but can you, do you understand where they're coming from and you're extending enough grace, uh, that you can make it work or is it not going to work? And maybe we just need to focus on other things. My hope is that because religion is so essential, especially if you're a believing Mormon for that half of the equation in the relationship, my hope is that religion doesn't become the thing you can't talk about because it's just so important. Um, so I, I would say that if you reach a point where you can't figure it out on your own, you can't establish those boundaries, you can't find any commonality in values and, and in where they're coming from, then maybe it's time to sit down and talk to a counselor. Um, but I think, and as those, you know, the two um, sections I shared from the Doctrine and Covenants 161 and 162, they both end with that idea of love, that love will eventually win out. And, and that's what, um, from... The episode with John and Monica, you know, ultimately it was they they took a stand and said, "Hey, look, I don't know how, but we're we're going to hold to love and we're going to figure this out uh, and we're going to work it out." So, but if if you can't make that happen on your own, I would highly encourage uh, finding a counselor to help you navigate and work through that. Yeah, and and maybe just my last thought on on this point would be. To not set yourself out to fix others, that, that if you're in the conversation to, to fix them or to, you know, show them you're right and they're wrong, I just, I find that, you know, 99 of 100 times those conversations will never go the way you planned them to go in your head. You sit down and you say, okay, I'm going to talk to my mom, right? I've, I've transitioned. I'm either, I'm either a progressive Mormon or I've left Mormonism altogether. And I'm going to sit down with my mom who's, you know, both feet in, very, very orthodox in her beliefs. And I'm going to convince her that the church has problems and, and that there's a, it's reasonable for me to think the way I do. If that's your goal, those conversations just generally don't go the way you plan them. They almost always go worse than you're hoping they do. And, and I think you just have to go in and say, I love this person. 
I, I care about them. I respect them. I disagree with them. But again, let's let's spend the majority of our conversation finding common ground and lifting each other up. Yeah, absolutely. And if I can speak to all the post-Mormons out there, uh, anyone who's struggling right now with their faith, I just want to point out that uh, com- going into that refugee camp of post-Mormonism and not getting beyond the bitterness, not moving beyond the pain, is not healthy. Um, and if you want to be able to connect with your family and your friends who still hold Mormonism dear, you've got to be able to see uh, the good in your past experience or at the very least get to a healthy place where you can move uh, beyond it without feeling like uh, unless you're attacking it, it's attacking you. And I, that is just so absolutely essential. And it's one thing that I'm grateful for in Community of Christ that it provided a space for me to find uh, to find a way to reflect back on my Mormonism in a healthy way and move into a healthy place. Um, I mean, I, I still have my moments, but I think I'm in a much better place than I was when I wrote that blog post in 2008. And, you know, as I went through and read some of those comments that I made and I cringed um, reading them, I, I just want to say I'm, I'm throwing this out there into the uh, the Internet like I did eight years ago. I don't know if anyone's listening that was reading back then, but I'm sorry about what I said. It wasn't fair and it wasn't nice. And if it's any consolation, I was really emotionally exhausted. Um, you know, I just, I was not in a good place and I hadn't been in a good place for a long time. Certainly was not ready to have that conversation. Um, and I felt like those comments were censoring me and trying to pull me back and into some place I didn't want to go. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, it doesn't excuse um, breaking down communication and destroying relationships. And I don't think that, uh, that well, actually, with one or two people, actually, that was the end of our relationship. Um, and I'm sorry about that. But um, I think with family members, uh, we've been able to move beyond that. At least I hope so. And I would hope eight years later that I'm uh, that I'm better for it. And I, I just implore anyone who's hurting because of Mormonism to find a way to get to a healthy place uh, because that is going to be essential when it comes to communicating with family and friends. And uh, even if even if you move beyond it, even if you give up every bit of it and uh, you think your family is crazy, your friends are crazy, you know, um, you've got to be able to get to a place where you're not speaking from a place of woundedness, but uh, you've you've moved beyond that and you're healthy. Because I think that's the whole point, right? The reason that you were seeking something is because you wanted to be healthy and honest. And so, like, really embrace that integrity. Um, and in doing so, it will bless your relationships. Yeah, and I'm, you know, as an active Latter-day Saint, I, I do that myself. I get, I get to, there's certain days where I feel wounded, and so I'm just venting or or uh, reaching out in anger to say something. And so I, I think that counsel can be useful to people both within and without uh, without the church. Well, Bill, I want to thank you for having this conversation. You're welcome, my friend. I'm grateful to have a chance and sit down with you anytime. Absolutely. Yeah. You have a good one. Let's go.